0: Well, good morning church. Good to see all of you. It's kind of crazy weather we're having. It's really cold, it's wet, and it must be special because we got snow in the hills. So I'm glad you all made it here safely and to worship together as a church family. Well, today I have the task of introducing our new sermon series, which is based on the Old Testament book of Exodus. And also, uh, by preparing us for that, that sermon series, I am also going to be preparing us for our annual meeting, which will follow, and we plan to make it short and sweet. You all know I love to fish, so whether it's fresh water or salt water, I enjoy both of them. And I enjoy casting crankbaits, tossing plastic worms for bass, or dropping shrimp flies for rock cod or fly lining for tuna. Doesn't matter. I enjoy it all. Now recently I was asked how I got interested in fishing in the first place. And people are often surprised when I tell them that it was actually my wife, Terry who got me into fishing. Some of our first dates were going fishing, and we enjoyed the time. Obviously I got hooked on fishing, but more importantly, I got hooked on her. <laughs> so, so, so why do I bring this up? So why do I talk about fishing? Obviously, fishermen like to brag, so there's going to be brag story here coming up to forewarn you. But coming off our previous series on discipleship, we learned about spiritual disciplines. And Pastor Eric and our CM director, Stephen, encouraged us to try them out for ourselves. And for one of the extra credit assignments, I chose for my Sabbath, which for most pastors are Monday mornings or Mondays, to experience silence and solitude. And as an introvert, silence and solitude comes very naturally to me. I actually prefer it. And I am not talking about the silent treatment or the solitude you get when you're in the doghouse with your wife. So fortunate for me, silence and solitude is compatible with fishing especially the good old soaking the uh, the bait on the shore banks. And you can get an idea how peaceful this can be from a recent picture I took on that day when I was having my Sabbath fishing. That's at a local lake near my house, like five minutes from my doorway, and I can go fishing. And it's such a beautiful place to be when the water's calm and the sun is beginning to rise. So that day when I was doing my silence and solitude, I get this this opportunity to actually get um, a second chance of catching a fish. And I think I have a picture of the fish I caught that day. There it is. Very nice. So when I'm having my silence and solitude, there's also a benefit of catching dinner later so that was for those who want to know here's the brag part that's a two pound trout 17 inches and if you want to go technical it was caught on four pound uh, break actually four pound mono on on a sinker rig with a power bait on a karamatsu single egg hook so if you understand all that then you're a good fisherman too now that day as i was quietly fishing and just reflecting on 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 what this current series is going to be all about and we in my mind it came up that we should call it god's bl- blueprint for transformation and this series is based on passages from the book of exodus and and as a heads up um, Pastor Ben and our worship director, Caitlin, will join me in delivering messages for the series, which is based on recent staff devotionals that were led by our own Colin Tomakawa, Tomakawa of our board of directors. So during that time, we were pondering a particular question for all of us to kind of wrestle with. And during our study, we were thinking about who does God want us to be in this next season of our church life? What does he want us to be? And in my solitude, while I was soaking bait, I felt a word from God, and for many of us is a very familiar verse from Psalm 46, verse 10. He, being God, says, be still and know that I am God. Now, to give us a little bit of context, because I I wasn't planning to do this, but when we were singing that first uh, worship song that Josh chose... It came to mind just to remind us of where that verse came from. In Psalm 46, starting with verse 8, it says, Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And here's verse 10. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So that verse comes in the context of warfare. There's chaos, violence going on, but God says, be still and know that I'm God. So when I was meditating over that word on that shorebank while fishing, I recall seeing this in my study of Exodus, specifically in chapter 14. At this point in the Exodus story, Moses was preparing to lead the Israelites out of captivity from Egypt. If you remember, Pharaoh had finally relented after God had sent all those terrible plagues on the Egyptians to convince him to let God's people, the Israelites, go. But Pharaoh, at the last minute, flip-flopped. He changed his mind and he rallied his soldiers to chase after them, after the Israelites, to kill them. As Moses and the Israelites were running away and were approaching the waters of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army in hot pursuit, the Israelites panicked and felt trapped. Do you stand and fight and get slaughtered or run into the Red Sea and likely drown? Two hard choices to be made. It is here in the Exodus story, something caught my eye that parallels Psalm 46, verse 10. I'll read starting with verse 13 and chapter 14 of Exodus. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And this is where I emphasize the, the verses. You need only to be still. Again, God tells them here. You need to only be still. Now, I'm not sure about you. If Moses said to me at that particular time, I would think he was crazy. I mean, it's natural that our instincts to fight or flight would kick in. But there's a reason Moses said to the Israelites to be still and not fight. Continuing with verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. And here... And verse 18 is the reason for the purpose of God's command to be still. Verse 18 says, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And that is the word of the Lord. So let me pause here to pray for us before we dive deeper into this passage. Heavenly Father, help us now to be still. To hear your words for us this morning, calm our minds, our hearts, and our souls through the Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. When we um, relocated from Berkeley to our previous place of worship back in 1994 to Lake Merritt, the move was intended to be temporary. With that in mind, we continued year after year to search for a place where we would have 24-7 access. And repeatedly over the last three decades, multiple possibilities did not pan out. Feeling like we were in captivity for almost 30 years, God would have to do something big for us to be able to move to find a place in a very expensive Bay Area real estate market. And last year, our faithful God did. In the month of June of our 100th anniversary year, our host church decided and suddenly informed us we had to vacate in 90 days. Given our past experience in searching for property, on top of being in the midst of a three-year pandemic, plus transitioning from a major senior leadership change, we knew we were facing a daunting task just like the Israelites facing the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. But God came through by giving us this existing church at 7900 Mountain Boulevard. God figuratively parted the Red Sea for us. And in the mad rush to close escrow by September to beat our deadline to vacate, we felt like we were sprinting through the parted Red Sea. And joyfully, we had our first service here at our new home last October. As an afternoon, and I don't want to relish in other people's troubles, we fortunately left our previous location just in time because with the recent heavy rains in December and January, the sanctuary and the fellowship hall at the other church is now flooded and it, it's unusable. Apparently, from the, the water from the hills had soaked the ground so much so that water was coming up from the concrete foundation and was flooding the building back at SDA. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's not too far to, to imagine, but it kind of parallels the Exodus narrative of the Red Sea crashing down on Pharaoh's army. Kind of wonder that, but God is good. As we look forward into our next season here, there's a great excitement among our people for all the new possibilities that can happen, all the things we could possibly do here. Yet, because many of us are naturally doers and task oriented people, the pastors feel God is reminding us to rest in Him and be still and know that I am God, as verse 10. And Psalm 46 tells us. We have been saying over and over again lately, the church is not a building, but the people. And that begs the question, who are we as a people, as a church? Well, for 2003, our hope is for us to be transformed people that truly know our Heavenly Father. That the Christian life is not a one and done deal. It's a lifelong journey of seeking change and transformation. True change begins with transformation, but we all know change is hard. To be changed people takes discipline, practice, commitment, coaching, and encouragement. But honestly, the proof of being a follower of Jesus is being transformed people. And this is a lifelong process, a long journey, and does not happen overnight. From the Exodus story, the Israelites, after being taken out of Egypt to enter the promised land that God has given to them, we see God begin the process of transforming them into his people again. So putting us into that same context, after taking us out of SDA, can God be preparing CLC for his purpose here at 7900 uh, Mountain Boulevard? Before we run wild with all the possibilities and get into trouble, which we can by doing our own thing, it would be wise to take a cue from what God reminded the Israelites in Exodus 14 when crossing the Red Sea, that God's blueprint for transformation is to be still. So my question, what, what does it mean to be still? To help us, I want us to look more closely to Psalm 46, verse 10. Sounds like a simple verse, only a few words, but it's deep in meaning and context. Be still and know that I'm God. And from that verse, I see three things. First, God commands us to do exactly that be still. Now, Talking with some of you over the years, matter of fact, I was talking to a friend on Super Bowl Sunday about this this concept of being still. Stillness is difficult for some of us. You tell me you can't sit still to be quiet and listen to God. You're just antsy or distracted or you're you're type A and you got to do something to your solution bound and you're always trying to figure out how to do things as opposed to just sitting and being quiet. But here, this context of being still is more than not moving or doing nothing. The Hebrew word here for still means to be weak, to let go, to surrender. And the reason for us to become weak is so that God can be strong. To let go, to surrender implies submission which honestly is something very hard, very difficult for many of us to do, especially in a society that worships individualism and freedom of rights. So a question for all of us to need to wrestle with in our faith journey, can we submit, can we surrender, and especially let go to God? The next thing I see from this verse is this second command, to know. And, and the Hebrew word for to know is yada. And God is saying here that being still to let go will allow you to comprehend, to understand, to experience knowing. And, and in the Hebrew context, there are two forms of knowing. The first way is to know something like information, data, a fact, or detail. And the second way to know is to know someone, as in a relationship. And in Middle Eastern language and culture, this knowing is not superficial. It's not like being friends on Facebook, which you can have total strangers, but they can be your friend. But in Middle Eastern culture, to know someone is to know them intimately and deeply, like in a covenantal relationship. God is telling us to know him more than just a fact or a truth or head knowledge, but rather to know God in a personal relationship. Like, I can say I know Steph Curry, but I really don't. I only know him from what I see on media or watching him play on television, but I've never shared a meal with him. I never went over to his house. I've never vacationed with his family. But in contrast, I can say I know many of you because we have met personally. We have actually lived life together, both the highs and lows. And that is the kind of knowing God is telling us he wants from us. And specifically, what does God want us to know? Psalm 46.10 tells us that he is God, that God is sovereign. He is in control. He's all-powerful, ever-present, and all-knowing. This is a simple truth on the surface, but a complex action in response. We hear it, but can we live it? In the Hebrew sentence structure, in this, in this verse, we see two imperatives, two commands. Be still, followed by, and know. The first imperative is linked to the second. The first command allows the second imperative to happen, to be activated. That this knowing can only be experienced first by being still. More specifically, to give up and surrender to God. It means if we don't surrender or become weak or submit, we cannot know God. And that would be tragic. Second Corinthians twelve, verse nine, the Apostle Paul said this: He said to me, But my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God's blueprint for transformation is to be still, to know that God is in control. God so loved the, the world that he loved us that he gave his one and only son that whoever knows him will not perish but have eternal life. And that is something to be grateful for and can only happen when we humbly surrender our lives to Jesus and begin that process of allowing him to be in control and transform us into his followers. So following our, our recent practice of extra credit, so for those that might be interested following this message, to applying some of, the, some of these truths to your own lives, I have a reflection question. First, can we give up control to God, not just individually, but also corporately as a church, to let go and allow God be God? Now, after reflecting on that question, then take time this week to examine your life, to identify what you are worried about, and and I've spoken with a lot of you, and everyone is not perfect. We all have our issues that we're going through in life. That's normal. Take time to identify what you're worried about, what you are anxious over, or even afraid of. And maybe it's over health issues. Maybe it's over finances, a job situation. Maybe it's a relationship or a pending major life change decision. Whatever it may be in prayer, tell God that you will be still specifically over this issue or matter, and let him be God. See what happens. And, and maybe share with someone that you're close to about your experience of giving up control to God. And, of course, I would love to hear your stories. So text me them, email them to me. And maybe sometime during our new current series, we will hear those s- s- stories together. One of my favorite songs is this, this oldie but give, uh, goodie. It's the song titled Give Thanks. And here's a sample of the lyrics. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his son. And now let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. I love this song because I know I am broken, that I am messed up, that I cannot do things on my own, and that I need Jesus. God has shown me tremendous grace and mercy, especially in times where I do not know what to do as a husband, as a father, as a leader. It is in those times that God shows me he is strong when I am weak, and I have no problems admitting I am weak. One of my um, favorite children's stories that some of you may be familiar with is The Little Engine That Could. And, and if you know this, this folk story, you're familiar with the signature, signature phrase that the little train repeats over and over again. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That mantra was repeated by that little train over and over again as he climbed a steep mountain pulling that heavy load behind him. It's kind of a metaphor for all of us going through life. I always like the story for, as an as a image for our church. Our culture is enamored by big, shiny things and people because there's a belief that bigger is better, and that also includes our view of churches too but god reminds me that small things can achieve great things for him because out of our weakness god shows the world his power and glory in spite of us philippians 4 verse 13 reminds us for i can do everything through christ who gives me strength As the Israelites left left Egypt with Moses leading the way, God wanted to transform them into his people once again. All the years in Egypt caused the Israelites to forget what God had called them to be. They were not a mighty nation, but a very weak, small people group. But God chose them for a purpose, like he has chosen CLC for a purpose. In our series, Based on Exodus, we will see God's blueprint for the Israelites and then apply that blueprint to us. For here at CLC, our mission is to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. But we often neglect the first part, that it is to make disciples. Making disciples is a process, a lifelong spiritual journey. This transformation cannot be done on our own, but only through the help of the Holy Spirit. And this transformation begins by us hearing from God this morning. Be still and know that I am God.